Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Okay. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome back, hopefully, to thousands and thousands of people. Episode our, 15. Episode 15. We are getting there. Uh, joining us from sunny Taos, New Mexico. Actually, a couple people, but Dustin, I, I don't want to have the whole intro. How are you today? I'm super excellent today. It's, uh, it's a weird... We, we've got a lot of the smoke... Uh, from the fires south of you today, it all swirled around the country and came here. So it's a weird color outside, and um, that's about it. Well, you're welcome to it. We had it for two weeks up here, <laughs> so, and it's good because it's jogathon week at school. Nice. So, uh, how far are you jogathoning? Uh, they're doing staggered, obviously, for COVID, so not everyone's running on the same day. Like they right. break the class down into thirds and then do a staggered start. Uh, they split the difference on masks because um, can be profoundly dangerous for kids to run a couple miles wearing masks. So as they're out running alone, they're allowed to, to lower their masks. But I just had to laugh at the whole stay home, stay healthy concept because I saw a lot of kids sucking wind yesterday. <laughs> and, and these are the athletes who are sucking wind. Like the, the, the athletes of the class are sucking wind and it went down from there. <laughs> oh man, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah, it felt really bad. So, but they made it through. They made it through. So, but joining us today, this is going to be a very, we're excited for this episode. It's something that we've wanted to do since we started this. Uh, we have a couple different formats for episodes uh, in mind as we go along, and this is our first on this format. Instead of talking to a veteran, we are talking, our guest today is the daughter of a Vietnam veteran and is married also to a veteran, uh, as people will know from lucky episode number 13, uh, her <laughs> husband Dustin was on. Um, you get a better number, um, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of different vectors, I guess, uh, to go through. My daughters have been studying physics, uh, um, to go through in terms of both being a daughter of a Vietnam veteran, wife of a veteran, and also some special relationships with other, um, children of veterans that we will get into. But thank you for joining us today, Miss, uh, Tiffany Jama. Yes, Ms. thank Mrs. you for having I, me. I'll cover all the bases, um, but no, thank you for joining us. And, and as we were talking right before we hit record, Dustin, you're going to have to quickly figure out a new question other than how did you join the military? <laughs> yeah, well, because <laughs> thanks for the lead-in, Dave. That's a <laughs> real pro there. Nice, nice segue. I'm going to toss it over to you. Uh Tiff, I'm wondering. Um, I'm wondering what it was like. A lot of us grew up with parents who uh, were ex-military and didn't talk about it. Did did you? What? How old were you when you realized that your dad was a veteran? Was it something that was around, or what was that like? Um, well, you know, it was interesting because I knew he was in the Vietnam War. I took his, you know, army jacket 
and his letters from Vietnam to third grade show and tell when I was about eight and told a story oh, about cool. him falling out of a helicopter. But beyond the suit that hung in the closet and these letters, I never considered that I was part of a military family. My dad didn't go to the VA. He didn't participate in anything to do with military life. And then of course there was always this like looming, you know, oh, your dad hates the 4th of July thing in the family. But it took me until I was a lot older to realize that a lot of the things about my life were the way they were because he was in the military and specifically that war. Was it, um, I mean, you, you knew your dad was in the war, but didn't really talk about it. Were there, um, yeah, I, I've talked about it on other episodes. I remember there was a, I think I was in second or third grade. One of the teachers in our school was a Vietnam veteran and he came to talk to our class and he was pretty super excited about it, brought in his uniform was, that's where, I mean, I, in second grade is where I learned uh, what a Claymore mine is as he explained it to us and he was super excited to talk but also a lot of the other teachers and adults had told us like oh don't don't talk to him about it you know he'll have shell shock and it's really rude to talk mm -hmm. about it and of course his kids look like, oh, i don't want to be rude but looking back right. as an adult I, he totally wanted to talk <laughs> yeah right um was it kind of that way for you guys like don't don't set your dad off or or what was that like you know, we were never told to not talk to him about it, but one thing that I've become aware of as I've gotten older and I've kind of gone on this journey of my own um, around that war is um, he had a few stories he told. He was a high school psychology and sociology teacher. Mm. And so he kind of had these like three horrific go-to stories. And what I realized in the last few years, and I, and I also have to acknowledge that I'm not sure I'll ever know if my assessment of him is accurate, if, my, if his stories are 100% true. There was a really great chapter in Tim O'Brien's book about how to tell a true war story. And a lot of the things that he said in there really resonated with me because he was like, there's things that are too horrific to talk about, so you create a metaphor, or you turn your eyes and you, you maybe missed a moment, and so you fill it in with something else. And so I had to kind of let go at some point that the stories are 100% accurate, um, and just kind of understand that war is pretty, pretty horrific. So um, we weren't told to stay away from his stories. But I, I, for me, I feel like my dad kind of threw out these stories almost like a smokescreen because what I realized happened, no one would ask a question. They were just so shocked by the information and the story that that was the end of it. And I think that is in some way how he stayed, the, the real pain of the war, the real tragedy of the war for him that he experienced as a 20-year-old and all that he saw and was exposed to, I think it got to kind of exist behind those stories because th that's just, he's, he's given me a little bit more information as I've, I took a trip to Vietnam myself. I got in touch with a lot of guys that were in his unit. 
Um, I got documents and maps. I got all these things mailed to me. He's given me a few more stories. And that's kind of what I've, I've derived from that whole experience of um, trying to understand my father better, trying to understand my life better, trying to understand the unspoken things in my life. There's just been a lot of things that were very unclear. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, not talking about things, not addressing things. You know, he'll say, I have a little hearing loss in my right ear, but he'll never say, I've killed someone. Right. So it's this interesting territory. That's actually an interesting concept. Like, I know that at some point I'm going to have to talk. So here's 10% of it to. Right. Kind yeah, of, if I make it the most horrific 10%, maybe it like waves right. off from the rest and I won't have to talk right. about it. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, you don't want to talk anymore? <laughs> right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, Dustin. Uh, do you do you remember how much you learned in school about the Vietnam War? Uh, during this I project, I was, th I was thinking about it and I like, I can't think of more than maybe like, maybe nine weeks in eighth grade. You know, and I, when I think about it, I don't think we learned anything about the Vietnam War. I was educated in West Texas and, um, excuse me, I started out with a really stellar education at a Catholic school, but then I was switched into a Church of Christ school and it was almost as though they were trying to keep people as uneducated as possible. <laughs> so they wouldn't know Weird. how to question anything. I know. And then I went to a public high school, but I don't recall you know anything about learning about the vietnam war in school nothing if i have to recall i know there i mean it's if anything it was the high overview stuff yeah yeah like like this is happening in the background and here's all the i remember it was very much like this is the high overview of what's happening in the war and here's the things that were happening at home and those are the things that kind of got paid attention to martin luther king right. and the right. assassination of jfk and that kind of stuff Can't right it didn't really um it didn't really touch on the war or what that experience was like for those guys right um, um how did you end up uh how did you end up becoming interested in, uh, in your father's service? Um, I think what happened for me was um, I kind of identified with the counterculture movement when I was a teenager. It was the 90s. I used to wear his army jacket to school and I even carried his canteen around for water. But nice. um, I, and then I moved directly to the Lama Foundation as a 19 year old. So my, my friend base was literal hippies, you know, from the sixties Yeah. and they're fantastic people. And I, I love them dearly and they're still in my life. Um, but I very much identified with the anti-war movement and, you know, people who would go down to Los Alamos to protest on the, you know, the day the bomb was dropped and whatnot. But I realized at some point in my early 20s that I carried a judgment about veterans. Hmm. Nothing that I did outwardly, but I was always like, I didn't understand it. Um, you know, I had one of those kind of mindsets of like, oh, those guys, you know, oh, the military guys, ugh, you know. And then, you know, fast forward, I don't know, 15 years or so in my mid to late thirties, I started to have my own experience with some PTSD 
And I even had some nights where I lived by the hospital here in Taos and we don't have like airplanes going over or whatnot, but there was a helicopter oh, yeah. and I'd be jumping out of my bed in the night, you know, peeling the blinds open, wondering what that noise above me was. And I was like, what is this? You know? Yeah. And I started to realize that there was probably a lot of picked up on trauma that I got from living in that household. So I started kind of just looking back at my life. You know, my dad, he always slept in the living room floor by the front door. And I don't know if it's because he and my mom were having a hard relationship or he was watching the front door. You know, I know he always kind of stepped over by our bedrooms and had a little listen before he would actually go to bed at like, you know, 2, 3 a.m. But there was a lot of things about my life that I thought were normal that right. I started to think those aren't really normal, you know, whatever normal is. But um, so I just started to, I actually started to watch a ton of war footage. I mean, he'd let me watch, you know, platoon and all those things in the eighties when I was a little kid. So I was really desensitized to that kind of footage. So I could watch Vietnam war footage, close it and go right to sleep. No big deal. But what I realized was, I was watching these, this footage and I'd hear these terms and these words and I started realizing that I didn't even have the language to form the questions to ask him anything. We just kind of knew he was over there you know, and in the army, but I didn't know his rank, what his you know, job over there was. I didn't know you could have different jobs. I didn't know you could be over there typing you know, data or you could be in a rice paddy, or you could be in a field, or you could be on a hill, or you could be on a boat. You know, I had no idea. So I started just kind of eating up all the footage I could find. And the questions started to be formed in my head. And so I actually started really kind of harassing him one day by text, you know, and dad, you know, and I was, I just wouldn't let up. I was like, where were you over there? Well, where did you land? Well, where did you fly out of? Well, what were you doing over there? Well, and I just kept going and kept going. And then um, one of the things I asked was, who were those, those guys that we went to the, um, the Vietnam Wall in 1980, I think 1988, to look for? And he gave me their names. And so I started on this you know, crazy frenzy on Google, searching on these names. And I, f I found this great uh, website for MACV. And it was a, you could find your team. He was Team 56. And all the men, it was men and children, um, anyone looking for information. And I found one of the kids was named after his father, David Fisher. And I was like, holy crap, this is one of the, you know, people whose dads we went searching the Vietnam Wall for when I was about eight years old. And um, yeah, so the whole, the whole journey has just been kind of, kind of, um, intense and enlightening but at the same time one of the, the biggest things i got from it was the most amount of love i could have ever imagined for the vietnam veterans i was just like my heart just blew open for these guys you know whether they enlisted or they were drafted whether they believed in it or they didn't i just had this massive shift inside myself and I really started feeling like there needed to be more bridges built between, especially people who feel like they're the counterculture, 
um, or they feel alternative, or they're just civilians with no clue what someone goes through in that kind of a setting. And so that's why I feel like this podcast that you're doing is so important and why I reached out and um, hope you know for great success with it because there is so much judgment from a lack of understanding from the mindset that makes someone join the military to you know why they carry a gun when they're out or whatever you know i see it all the time now that i'm with dustin you know people giving him dirty looks for having a gun and having no idea what he's been through in this world and fought for and believes in they have no idea it's just an initial judgment and so i feel right. like there needs to be more bridges and um especially from that like counterculture kind of thing to the military it's it's like it's the same as it was in the 60s it's it's still pretty divided absolutely um it, it, it is so many different bridges that can be crossed and one of the big gaps i think that I've seen is just people who have their information from only movies for mm -hmm. and and it's just this okay you went and did this thing and now you're home like yay you made it and it, like mm -hmm. are they all the way home like could you go right. over there and do that um, right. one of the things that's uh, talking to Dustin about on our last filming trip it's like okay think about in your life, is there something that every once in a while you just think about and you're like, God, I can't believe I did that or I should have done that better or that you just can't let go of? Now imagine that's mm -hmm. war and right. you're thinking about your friend who was killed. Now, if you can't let go of this one mistake you made 20 years ago that you wish you'd right. done better, imagine adding death onto right. that and then just right. telling people, oh, it's fine. Right. <laughs> right. And so... Uh, you said that you started texting with your dad one day. Mm -hmm. Did the responses come back slowly or, or how did that go? No, he was, he was pretty willing. Um, he gave me the information as I asked for it. Um, and then somehow through that MACV website, that discussion group, um, there was a main guy on there who had been one of the radio operators and there were, there were two they do 12 hour shifts. So while my dad was over there in 68, 69, this guy was on the radio, you know, for 12 hours, almost every single day. And so he had a ton of information. And so he started kind of feeding me some different information, you know, like the name of the compound, Ekin compound in Kanto, Vietnam. And I remember once I had to call my dad about something and I said Ekin compound and it was this really interesting moment where it's almost like in the silence that it took him to speak the moment, the pause, I could hear the memory coming back to him. He hadn't probably heard Ekin compound in like 46, 47 years or whatever it was at that point. And it was, I don't know, there were just some, some really interesting moments like that that are almost hard to, to speak about or write about because they just are, you know, it's, it's just such a weird situation. But um, he was really forthcoming with information. And I think, I don't know why he started telling me a few more stories. I did make a trip down to Texas where he lives and 
we went through his scrapbook and he pointed through some photos. He'd be like, there were more awful stories, but I hadn't heard them before. You know, he'd say, oh, this is the radio. I mean, I mean the, the, the tower at the Canto airfield where this crazy thing happened and here's what it was, you know, and I started to get a lot better grasp on what he was doing over there and what happened. And, um, yeah, and, and even that guy that on the Patrick Gillis that was on the uh, the radio, the the guy who I've become friends with, um, David Fisher, his dad was also David Fisher. He died in the the landmine explosion. Um, Patrick Gillis had been on the radio when they radioed in, saying, you know, we're coming down Highway Two, blah blah blah, whatever. And then his shift ended. He went to bed. You know, forty five minutes later, he got woken up. The the guys had been blown up by this landmine and my dad was put out on duty to go uh, retrieve their bodies with his good friend, Larry. And yeah, so, you know, getting stories from other members of his team, um, all of it, you know, I just, I, I didn't tread outrageously lightly like I thought I might, I thought I probably should. But, um, and I, and I, I, I was cautious in the sense that if at any moment he was like, I can't talk about this, or I noticed his stress going up, I would have backed off, but he, he raised me to be tenacious, you know, that war it partly raised me. And so I am how I am partly because of that damn war. And so he never told me it was inappropriate or anything like that. And he just kept giving me info, which was, you know, really kind of nice. And you're one of the first people that we've talked to who's kind of gone through the experience we've gone through on, uh, you know, our journey for the Apache Blues documentary, mm -hmm. a, a little more personal since it was your dad, um, but that we keep trying to drive home to people. Would you say you did a lot of talking or did you just do a lot of listening? With my dad specifically? Um, let's see. Well, well I know once, with, once with, the with, story started coming out, I mean, um, you know, he's, he doesn't give really long stories. Um, I definitely listened a lot. I didn't have, I didn't pry with extra questions like with Dustin now he's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a different era of veteran. We have a term for PTSD. Um, you know, it's a slightly different world that they, or country that the, you know, Afghanistan troops came back to than the Vietnam troops. So um, he and I have talked a lot, Dustin and I have. And so I ask him a lot of questions, like very specific, you know, like really specific that I probably, I would never ask my dad. I still let my dad have whatever privacy he needs to hold those stories inside to not dredge up you know those traumas um because i do remember i read his entire year of letters home to his mom dad and sister and it's like it's so intense in one way how he's so much a kid he's writing home about the poverty and the poor dog he saw on the street and the kid with no legs and you know you, it's just like you know he came from he didn't even come from an ideal American childhood. He came from, you know, an alcoholic, you know, on, on the East Coast in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and hardworking parents and, 
Um, but for him, you know, Vietnam was uh, still a, sh a, a shock. And um, it just was really interesting to watch that year of letters unfold and him go from kind of like, this is going to be the greatest experience of my life to, you know, don't worry about me. I'm just going to be typing because he was going to just do a typing job at first. And then he went into, oh gosh, we're going out to the rice paddies. We've lost too many men. They need some volunteers. And then the battles start and the nighttime, you know, I can, I can see how the trauma, the PTSD, all that crept into his world. And one thing that's really interesting to me is my dad's PTSD around like safety shows up in the dark. My dad was afraid of the dark. He had me afraid of the dark. If we're driving around at night and he sees a tree, he kind of half jokingly, but kind of half seriously says, you know, someone could be behind that tree. And I'm like, yeah, in, in your world, someone could be behind that tree because someone was behind that tree once upon a time. Whereas like with Dustin, more of his worry happens in the daytime. So I'm just starting to put like all these different little pieces together of, you know, how those traumas come in and then how they impact and then stay there and then maybe even get passed on. So your dad was your first introduction to dark humor to hide real feelings. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And my, my dad also, um, my bedtime stories were, really really dark like really dark my bedtime stories have alarmed all of my therapists that I've had in my adult life and um you know I don't know if he was trying to work something out I don't know if he just thought it was cool to scare kids I don't know how much of it was drawn from what he saw over there but it was a lot of like dismembered children and children going missing and, and we'd have to, you know, fall asleep after that. Classic. <laughs> yeah, great bedtime stories. That was a major pain, the movie, where he's telling the little story, the engine that could, and then ends up with a fight, and the psychologist like, Major! It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's like, what's the big deal? <laughs> um. And, and staying along uh, the line of, of Vietnam, uh, what's it, I, I don't want to say what's it like, it's such an easy lead in, um, but to have met other children of veterans who, it, it turns out, are connected to your dad's service, but is there an instant connection there, just this kind of shared group experience, or, or how does, how is that community formed for you? Well, um, it's been interesting because most of them are older. I'm 40. And a lot of those guys are in their early 50s because, you know, they were either like one or two when their dads went over there or in utero or whatever. But um, I mean, those guys specifically from my from my dad's unit, the children of them, they're they're older than I am. And yeah, this one guy. David Fisher, he's just like, he just loves me and I just love him so much. And, um, you know, he just emailed me a couple nights ago and, you know, he wanted, if I was pregnant with a, a boy, he wanted me to name, <laughs> name it after him, but I'm having a girl. So, um, I'm off the hook for that, but, well, um, 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I think what it was, was those guys, there were two of them. Uh, there were four guys in the Jeep that exploded and three of them had children, I believe. And two of them found each other. And I've been in touch with both of them. And, um, I kind of, they gave me like their life story and how it was impacted by the war and what changed for them so drastically after their dads died. And um, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. <laughs> where was I, where was I going with that? Um, naming, naming your child after David. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, we've just become really close. The, the piece that they were missing for themselves was really knowing what happened. You know, they have those letters that they send home and I've seen those letters. I found some archive online and they don't say a whole heck of a lot. They're just like, we're so, we regret to inform you that, you know, so-and-so has been killed in whatever this region. And, um, they didn't know what actually happened, what actually took place. And no one really does because the four people that were there died. But my dad being the first, first one on the, the scene to pick up their bodies, you know, at least had some information. And then through my kind of searching and talking to people and looking for information, I was able to get them a lot more information, but just them being able to talk to my dad did something really powerful for them, you know, more so than it was talking to me. I mean, one of them really, David was really more looking for, did my dad ever mention me? Because they were like mm. a high school pregnancy. And then his dad went to the war and died. And he wasn't really allowed to ever speak about him. And I think he actually got um, beat up by his mom if he did bring up his dad. So a lot of trauma subsequently to losing his father and so he has had a big wound in his life around never knowing well did he acknowledge me did he does he know me any of that stuff and my dad couldn't really answer that question for him but just getting to talk to someone who knew his dad in the war did something really powerful for him so for those little things i'm you know immensely grateful that my dad was willing to do them and talk to them and maintain a relationship and provide anyone with any little bit of healing that they could have because there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that in that time period and in that war. And I think it's just beginning for those. Yeah, those little bits of closure life. are really important yeah. for us as humans, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we see that every once in a while coming through some of the, the, the veteran groups that we've, come in contact with through making the movie and you'll just see a, a child of a veteran looking for anyone who served with their with their dad right. it is it's like okay you know you maybe didn't talk to your dad about it for quite a while into your life but for them i mean that information flow just stopped stopped right. on the day their dad died um, yeah. And yeah the army is not forthcoming especially if they were in an area they weren't supposed to be um, mm -hmm, right yeah so it is it, yeah that's a that's a great thing for them um but coming forward from that you your husband as we're talking about dustin is is also a veteran um mm -hmm. how 
for you being the the daughter of a veteran um getting into the counterculture as you're saying did mm-hmm. you ever envision yourself being married then to a veteran or how has that journey been i really didn't until right before i met him and mm. because the my whole journey with the vietnam war and my dad and his his team and all those people maybe started somewhere around 2015 or 2016 and I went to Vietnam in 2019 and then when I got back I kept thinking like this journey has to be over has to be over like that had to be the end okay I did that it's gotta be over now but then I would feel this kind of like weird thing start churning in me and I'd feel like there was another breadcrumb out there somewhere it was kind of like this hidden journey of breadcrumbs I had to keep following and so I just kept going and I had actually just gone to Washington DC about a year ago, this time last year. And I just specifically went to hang out at the Vietnam wall and I got to have all these great conversations. Um, I actually got to help people find some names on the wall. And um, I was like, okay, where's, where's the next piece of this journey? Where am I going? What am I going to do? And I was like, you know, what's probably going to happen is I'm going to meet a veteran is what's going to happen. And I, but I kept thinking it's certainly not going to be in Taos, you know, it's going to yeah. be on my trip to Austin to go to the LBJ presidential library or something, you know? And, but then like two weeks later at the gym, you know, there's this guy lifting weights and, uh, I was kind of, I was in this like kind of, you know, rah, rah mood at the gym that day and he was using something I wanted. So I kind of just kicked him off of it and started using it. And uh, then he started talking to me and I looked, he was wearing an American flag hat and I was like, oh, this guy's a veteran. And then the next thing I knew, he's like, can I get your phone number and whatever. So if I hadn't gone on that journey with my dad and had that heart opening experience of really trying to understand as much as you can from a civilian perspective, what a veteran goes through, knowing that you'll never fully know. I don't think I would have even been open to the idea of being with a veteran because I, it's such a foreign world to, to us civilians. You would have told right, that. I want to dive into that in a minute, but I want to, I want to hear more about your own journey to Vietnam first. I want to, I want to know what led to you going and like how, how that whole trip went. Yeah, so I made the decision to go. I had some crazy need inside myself that if I couldn't, you know, get the experience or more information out of my dad to really grasp it, that I was going to go there and try to at least plant my feet somewhere where he had stood. So thankfully, this guy, Patrick Gillis, sent me, I think it was something like, 800 photos that he collected from all team 56 members everything from guys that were pilots that had aerial footage to just everything and um put that all together he actually sent me a 1968 map of the region the old province names um and then i was overlaying it with like google earth and i was trying to make sure that like my hotel was near something you know (laughs) and i took my dad this map and he goes well that's actually 
the, the prostitutes were actually down this way, you know? And so I got all this information, but I took my son who was 14 at the time with me and we had a three week trip there. And at first we were going to stay down South and just do the war stuff down there. But I decided, you know, while we're here, we might as well go all over. But um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I think my, my favorite piece of the whole trip, we, we were, I'm, and I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but it's spelled like Kanto. It's in the Mekong Delta. Yeah. And um, it's beautiful, beautiful area, hot, but beautiful. And that's where my dad was. And, the, you know, the highways have been renamed, but the rest of it, the, the roads are the same. Google Earth overlaid perfectly with my map from 1968. And I was literally carrying the 1968 map around. And I got into a taxi one night to try to find, I knew that like the Econ compound wouldn't be standing. You know, I knew these certain US buildings wouldn't be there. They've all been taken over by these hotels because they're on the river. Um, so I at least stayed in the hotel where it was called the province house. Um, core, uh, four core headquarters was in that region um, where I was staying. And so I got in a, a cab and I just picked like a cake shop down the road. I thought, well, if he drops me off there, I should be able to get out and find this one building that has a chance of still being there. It was where my dad stayed. It was a brand new hotel <clears throat> at the time. And uh, they had to put a grenade screen over it. And the troops stayed there when they came in from the, the rice paddies. I guess they'd be out there for a certain number of days and then they'd come in and get a sh cold shower and whatnot. Anyway, we're kind of flying down this road, which is now incredibly lit up and bright and full of buildings. And I just kind of turned my head at one point and there was the building. And it had this weird haunting feeling. I only saw the corner of it because there was a tree in front of it, but I knew that was the building. And so I was like, hey, you know, you can let me out here. And uh, I got out and the building next door to it, which was just motorcycle storage, was the old mess hall that they built them. And what, what I loved too was that a lot of locals saw me out there like on my phone looking at pictures and looking at this building and scoping everything out because you know one thing that was one story was now four stories but I could see the old roof line of the mess hall and the building that they stayed in was exactly the same it just had a an awning and a gate and a tree and all these locals came out to help me and they found me a translator and they were like, we don't know for sure if this is that building from your picture. And I had to get in my old files and find one from the side that showed this. They have a lot of buildings where they have like, it's maybe like four or five stories, but then they have a little extra floor on the top that's only a portion of the, of the building. And once they saw that, they were like, yay, this is it. You found the building that your dad was in. And, and, you know, it just made me so happy. So that I did that early on in the trip. We went from Saigon to Kanto to then we went up north to Hanoi. And it was I got a little cold on the uh, I caught a cold flying up to Hanoi. So I ended up having to stay there a few days just kind of laying low. It was wet and damp up there. So it was not good for a cough. But then we went we went to central Vietnam and did some outdoor stuff, zip lining, um, 
can't remember what all we did, but I was try- I had to try to keep it like fun for a 14 year old boy <laughs> and, and good for me. So yeah, it was incredible. I'll, I'll never, ever regret going on that trip. You know, I took a month off work, spent a lot of money, but to know that I was like at the building where my dad was, was just incredible for me. What was that like for your son being even one more generation removed? I mean, obviously it's his grandpa, but was it yeah. like a 14 year old boy, this cool mom, but I want to go zip lining or was there yeah. emotion in it for him too? <laughs> not, not so much emotion in it. I mean, he, he had to kind of be with me on this trip because I was actually having like for about a year or more, probably I was having uh, an instant cry reaction when I thought about the war. Like you said, Vietnam War, I was crying. It was like I was processing all my dad's unprocessed trauma. It was so strange. So he was having to deal with me already, and I think that made him feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but I like to think that, you know, as he gets older and looks back on his life, there may be something there for him. He did, he is a skilled motorcycle driver, even at age 14. So he drove us. <laughs> all over we rented a scooter on almost every town we went to so that's one way i kept it fun for him and uh, kept him you know with me almost on a daily basis going to see things but i think it's hard to for someone to grasp someone that age to grasp what what are we doing here you know and he hated the food and i didn't love it either so we had kind of a rough trip that way where it was like okay, we know there's a McDonald's in Saigon. I guess we'll go there when we get back. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it was just kind of like, uh, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. So we went, to, uh, we went to Italy when my daughters were, I think, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're walking around Rome. And I almost majored in history in college, but mm-hmm. I realized I'd have to be there for another year. So... <laughs> Like, ah, I want out. Um, but just walking around Rome and the Forum and Pompeii, it was it was amazing to me. And there's, yeah. uh, right. oh, we're walking, right. and, you know, <laughs> right. we're in the Colosseum, and I just am loving it. And my right. wife and I told him, like, you are going to appreciate this when you start studying Roman history. In yeah, school. like you haven't when had they... this yet. And so a couple of years later, they started studying, and they're like we were there and it was so awesome. And I'm like, Ooh, that's not the way I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I think one thing my son got out of it that was very cool for him was just the way they did things over there. I mean, there'd be a guy on a motorcycle with rebar, like really long rebar tied, you know, crisscrossed of his handlebars of his bike, just dragging the street behind him for 20 feet. You know, like he saw these kind of interesting ways of doing things, which his dad also kind of has. He's a little bit of a renegade Wild West construction guy up here in Taos. And so I think he was kind of like, oh, wow, look at the way they're doing that. You know, look at those people on that tiny plank carrying that crazy stuff across the, the canal or whatever. So he, he got some stuff out of it, but yeah, maybe I- not so much for the war. I was laughing because, you know, we're going through the forum with the tour guide and they're like, you know, this is where Caesar stood and gave this speech. Right. And I was trying to tell them like, no, this isn't like, oh, we think in this area, like right here, 
right, Caesar right. stood right here on these right. steps. Like you're not nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, at any point, had did you consider or did you ask your dad if he wanted to come on that trip? I did. And he kind of thought he might come. And in a way, I'm so glad that he didn't because he has a hard time with his routine changing and crowds and oh my God. I mean, I used to get up and be like, okay, we're going to go get breakfast. And I'd be like, oh shit, I have to cross a street you know, just crossing the street in Saigon, even though it's technically very safe if you just do it how you're supposed to do it, I would be like, oh my God, like, can we pull up a map and find a place to eat with the fewest streets to cross? And my dad would have been losing his mind in Vietnam. I mean, if the PTSD of just, you know, seeing a bunch of Vietnamese people didn't do something to him, which I don't know if it would or wouldn't, just the traffic, the mopeds, the, I mean, he would have been miserable, which means I would have been miserable. So I'm, I'm glad it was my son and me and instead of my dad and me. Fair point. Yeah. So, uh, Dustin, that cover. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Did you, did you feel like you had the, um, when you, after you found the building, you know, you got back to the States after you thought about it for a while, did you feel like you had the kind of closure you were looking for in going? Yeah. Well, I didn't know what exactly I was even looking for in going. I wasn't sure what this whole journey even was. Sometimes I still don't know. I don't know if it's over mm -hmm. yet. It seems to have calmed down a little bit. Now I have a veteran in my life and I have a different thing going on. You know, I, I get different information. I'm actually finding a lot of parallels i'm i'm getting information from dustin that helps me understand my dad better so i don't mm. know if this journey was about understanding my dad or understanding me or helping some veterans heal i have no idea if it's over or anything but um i have thought that i would go back especially to that region on the mekong delta it's it was just i don't know there was something about it that i was like this is where i would want to be if I came over here like out of all the nine or whatever cities we went to I mean except that it's maybe like 120 in the summer and 90 in the winter it was still so beautiful there and you know talking about now married to Dustin and this is something that one of the bridges, as I said, there's several bridges that we can cross with the, with all these stories. One of the bridges is our Vietnam veterans that we've talked to for the movie, wanting to share their experience with modern veterans and saying, mm -hmm. we've got a 50 year head start on you. Mm -hmm. We made some mistakes. We did some good things. Let's talk about it. Have you been able either consciously or maybe subconsciously processed your experience with your dad and, and let that inform how you talk with Dustin or, or, or seeing maybe the veterans today getting a head start on talking and, and, and seeing a different kind of progress for yeah. them. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, and I, I'm just guessing, I can't say I know any veterans actual experience but I think I forget when the term 
PTSD, like when that became a thing, but I don't think there, there was so little understanding about all this stuff back with the Vietnam veterans and there's more of it now. And, um, I do talk to Dustin about things a lot differently than I do my dad. And it, it's partly because he, when I met him, he had already done things like gone to anger management and gotten some therapy and been through this um, EMDR therapy that helps uh, with blocked memory and blocked traumatic experiences. So he'd already done a lot of that kind of work. And, you know, I, I do body work. I actually do myofascial release, which is really well known for these prolonged deep holds. And what often happens in the tissue is old locked up memory, you know, body chemistry from a traumatic experience that gets kind of solidified and crystallized in the tissue can come out. So I was like, yeah, you know, that's great. I'm glad you've done ABC, but there's this component of your, your tissue memory. Mm. And so he let me start working on him and, you know, this whole other range of stuff started coming out. And, you know, he's given me a lot of information about how you're actively taught to compartmentalize experiences so that you can get back out there and be combat ready. And that is something that is very useful perhaps in war. It's not the greatest tool for all realms of life. And so that's, you know, sometimes I'm like, he's like, oh, I've actually been kind of hiding my feelings about this thing. And it's like, sometimes I'm pretty good at picking up on what people are really feeling, but sometimes he really hides it well, you know? So that's an interesting component to being in an intimate relationship with a veteran. It's all these tools that they've been taught and tools for survival. And, you know, it's, it's been very, very uh, eye-opening in its own way for me. Yeah, and we've approached this, you know, for, for the most part, we've talked with veterans. For the movie, we've talked to some of the wives of the veterans, but we always ask the veterans of what would be a way that a family member could approach you or, or, or talk. And from your perspective, to talk to um, family members of veterans, what advice would you have for them about approaching a father or a spouse or, or anyone? You know, I think, I think it's okay to approach them. And I think like, it's like with my father, I mean, and you know, I don't have a lot of reference. I have my, my dad and, and Dustin, but um, you know, I had a lot of understanding of that war. I had a lot of understanding of, what those guys went through and where they're at with it, how, how compartmentalized that war is for them. And so I definitely believe in approaching it from a perspective of like some compassion and I'd like this information. Like if you feel like you need that information as a child, um, to feel comfortable asking, but also be very open to that you might get short answers. You might not get a whole lot of information. 
you might have to ask other people who are more open to talking about some of the things. And that if you can kind of derive a lot of information from what you do get, if that makes sense, like you don't necessarily need it all, but you know, just like for me to realize my dad's big stories were smoke screens to hide something. That in mm -hmm. itself is a lot of information. I didn't need to say, well, what are you hiding behind there, dad? You know, what's going on back there? You know, I don't need him to have some massive breakthrough. You know, if that's a part of his life and his healing, then that's what that is. You know, I didn't expect him to get outrageously emotionally involved in my journey. You know, he was on it with me as much as he could be. He thought it was cool. He thought it was amazing. You know, there's stuff I'll never know, but I can know a lot of it from reading about the war, listening to other stories. I don't need all the gruesome details. I don't need to know every single thing that happened. And you may never get that. And I think that that's, at some point I realized that's their war. I'm an outsider. And I started kind of giving it back to them in a way, because for a while I was wanting a lot for my own understanding and I don't think I did anything inappropriate or, you know, anything that I am not comfortable with. You know, the people that wanted to talk gave me the information, the people who didn't, didn't, and that had to be enough. And then I kind of felt like energetically, I, I just handed it back to them. Like that's theirs. I will always be an outsider, mm -hmm. even though I feel like it's in my DNA because of how I was raised. There's a lot of things from those battlefields that are in my body that be, help me become who I am today. And then that's my journey to figure out. So I don't know if that really answers your question exactly, but you know, and then with Dustin, he's my husband. And I, I mean, I just, I ask all kinds of questions and he's never said like, I can't talk about that. We did have one incident one night where I made him lasagna. We were first, first newly together and the lasagna looked like something he'd seen in the war and he couldn't eat it anymore, you know? And it was like, all right, you can leave the room. We're going to put this food away. You know, you go, go be with yourself. That's interesting. I never thought about lasagna, but it is, I mean, yeah. it, triggers are triggers for different people. Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about um, piecing together your dad's story. One of the one of the parts that um, that Dave and I have discovered in doing the doc is that we couldn't get any of the guys to talk about themselves. They were mm. so proud of each other. And they were mm. so they were so gallant in in speaking about each other that they had to um, they couldn't talk about themselves. So like to learn about one guy, we have to ask the other guys, and and mm. they'll happily tell you everything about him. You know, interesting. And, well, no one wants to put themselves above the team. No right, one right. look like they're putting themselves above the team. So it's very yeah, hard right. for them to say, I did this. Right. And then right. the other he guys to say, you know, I watched him do this thing. And you're like, that's the most heroic thing I've ever heard of. And you like write it down in your notes. And you're like, oh, it goes along with these other 40 things. That's incredible. What are you guys right. talking about? And they're, you know, they're all so, so, um, uh, well, I don't called self-deprecating but their their right. their unwillingness to speak about their own actions um mm. 
Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because we've had a couple test screenings of the um, of the first draft of the movie that we did, uh, the rough cut, and now we're we're working on the final. But even in the rough cut with the test screenings, their stories are so seamless together. We kind of had to remind the audience, like this is the first time the veterans have actually seen what the other guys said. Mm. Like these, these interviews took place weeks, months, and sometimes years apart, but they all fall in when they start talking about the team and what everyone else did. It it looks like they're all in the same room having a round table. Right. Um, Wow. So yeah, it it seems weird to have to remind the audience that like, no, they didn't know. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so. Right. And they also didn't care. Really interesting though. Like like they they're I don't know. I don't want to fall down the side trail of that, but they they trust each other so much that they were like, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's gonna say what he's gonna say, and I'm not worried mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And um that that level of camaraderie is rare. Um right. until you get into the veteran community and then it's all over right. the place, you know. Right. Um it's a normal right. thing. Yeah, which is one of the things Dustin has talked about. Um we've talked a little bit about the difficulty of being out of the military, being Mm -hmm. in civilian life. You know, he has a tendency to want to spend all his time with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, I'm an introvert. I have friends. I need to get away from you every now and then. And for him, he's like, you know, you know, the thing he's missing from the military, you can't really get in civilian life. So then there's that loss and that grief and that adjustment and then like his, his family has just, you know, his immediate family has become such a huge, you know, filler of that old space for him. So that's been an interesting thing for me, you know, the, yeah, and to be so captivated by someone like, okay, you've got my attention all the time. I'm here. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we talked about that last week with Ryan of the military is so team oriented and so camaraderie oriented and society today, unfortunately is not society yeah. today is very individualistic. sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, you know, the good with the bad there, but it is a very individualistic society. So it's really hard right. to leave a team, not only to leave your team, but then to right. come back to a place where there are no teams. Yeah. Right. And I, and on the other side, it's hard for society to be like, no, like we're, you know, we make our own way, make your own way. Um, right. And what would you, you know, we've talked to people, uh, Charles, our cameraman was saying he was talking to a girl one night and she's like, oh my God, my dad's a Vietnam veteran. And I'm kind of like, dad, you're home now. Like it's over, get over <laughs> it. And he was, he was just so mad. He's incensed. Yeah. Even yeah. years later, he's just so mad. And that is one of, the bridges like no it's not yeah. over so yeah. what would you say to to society not to society as a whole but to people advice for them to bridge the gap who don't have contact with veterans on on a right. regular basis of how we I'll back to it we as a society can get better at that just understanding um, right yeah well I mean, I feel like it's important to educate ourselves because I think people can get so caught up into the right and wrong or the politics and, you know, disagreeing with what our country is doing, maybe in a particular area 
when we don't even really know for sure, you know, what's going on. I think people stay away from actually touching into learning about veterans and the military and the, the, the human beings that are in there and what they're having to do because they, it's just easier in some way. So I would say find a local veterans organization, do something, get a hold of the VA. I don't know if they can give out information of names or numbers, but find some way in your community, talk to your neighbor. There's veterans everywhere and just talk to them because you'll come away with a much different understanding, you know, especially if you can go into it without judgment, if you can go into it with some curiosity. Because I, I mean, even just in the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of tourists coming into Taos and, you know, people, someone wouldn't take Dustin's order because he had a gun, you know, on his hip in the Burger the other day. And some, you know, young kids came in and gave him some lip about being a redneck. And I'm just, I'm looking at this going, well, this is really interesting how we just see something, judge it, label it, and dismiss it. And people aren't coming from their hearts. They're not coming from compassion. And I'd like to see a lot more of, of people having curiosity and creating their own bridges just by reaching out and asking some questions. You know, what'd you go through? What do you want to tell me? You know, I don't, I don't know the right questions to ask, but there has to be more of that because the divide is so drastic and so uneducated that it's not creating, I, I feel like a good situation for the veterans, for the civilians, and for our country as a whole. And it just keeps driving a bigger wedge between people. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna immediately backtrack on one of the things I said about individualism. We're not totally individualist because it seems in politics today, everyone has their team. Um, right. Having worked for the government for Republicans and Democrats, no one's team is better. I hate to break right. it to everyone. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> I worked for both of them. Um, this, is, this is just as awful as it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, 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 a very key trend of when our local senators cared about border security, and it seemed to be every six years. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> right. going to throw that out there. Um, but it is, it's, it is that is the one team we have left and i think people are really afraid to hear opinions they may not like because they yep. don't want to have to reevaluate their team right um you know we're joking with dustin that Dustin and i dustin sweet and i have spent i mean we've known each other since college but even i still think the sedona story is the best we we uh we walk up to this short film festival. We're we're at this film festival in Sedona, and we're showing mm -hmm. our film. And they ask us up to the front, and, and we we get up there, and and you know we're talking for about five minutes, and this guy stands up and goes, huh, "You you were law enforcement, and uh, you sir are wearing an anarchy belt buckle. Uh, I want to know what that's about." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because we can have differences with each other and still be friends. Yeah, it's right. crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I'm also not afraid, and Dustin's not afraid to say that's just really dumb yeah, and not be offended not. by it. Right, right. So I mean, yeah, it's 
we, you know, no one, no two people, even my identical twin daughters are not the same. Right. And we have to be willing to accept that we're not all the same. Well, and, right. and every time we come to this, I, I want to reiterate, man, the thing that makes America stronger is our differences, man. Like that's, that's what bridges this country together and really holds us together and makes us better than everywhere else. Huh. <laughs> getting deep feisty yeah. uh, I'm going to circle back around on something that we talked with Dustin about two weeks ago mm-hmm. by the time this episode comes out two weeks ago um, mm-hmm. we talked to him about what it's like to, to for people to thank him for his service mm-hmm. and, and we talked about it a lot but there still was a lot of humor involved um, and so I want to say from your angle of watching it how do you mm-hmm. think he kind of accepts that when people will say thank you for your service? Um, you know, he, he's, he's gracious to their, to them, you know, for saying it. I think when we talk about it later, you know, he realizes that it's kind of a standard thing to say, but they also took the time to say it. And that means mm-hmm. something, you know, I don't say that to people, but I do when I don't end up a big bag of tears, try to welcome home anyone who's wearing a Vietnam veteran hat. You know, if as long as I can do it without being like, oh my gosh, look now I'm crying. Can you please take care of me? I'm so sorry for what that war did to you. You know, I just try to, you know, cause they're all wearing those hats now, which is awesome where they have a bumper sticker. And so I try to say welcome home specifically to the Vietnam veterans. And um, yeah. You know, he has even been at the doctor with me with my legs and like gynecological stirrups. And the doctor's like, oh, thank you for your service, you know. (laughs) And it's like, it's sweet. It's to me, it's at least an acknowledgement that they know people are doing things that are difficult so that they didn't have to. So I think it's well received, you know for the most part from what i've seen you know we've only been together a year and uh yeah that's kind of my take on it i i think it's appreciated in some way and then of course it's i'm sure sometimes it doesn't feel genuine and it's just kind of like a sound bite that people are so used to saying yeah it's interesting what you say in terms of when you see a vietnam veteran on our first filming trip around the country, 7,000 miles, we had uh, Craig Jorgensen, one of our veterans, came with us to mm-hmm. catch up with all the other veterans. And for 7,000 miles around the country, if he saw someone with another Vietnam veteran hat, remember we we're standing in the Alamo and looking, and he suddenly mm-hmm. walks 100 yards because he saw a hat. And at first, they do the 20 questions to make sure they're both real Vietnam veterans. Right. But there's such a connection anywhere across the country, anyone wearing the hat, they always talk to each other. Yep. And it is is really great for what they came home to, to now be able to actually be proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or to the point that people want to lie about service and say they were in Vietnam. That's a a huge 180. Gone from don't right. talk about being in Vietnam to pretending right. you were there. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've wondered. I've seen some people with some signs asking for money, but it said Vietnam veteran, and I was like, that's interesting. You know, I I, I wonder if anyone would ever lie, but uh, I didn't want to ask the questions to trigger any any bad memories to find yeah. out. Even for us, you know, having come into this, 
Uh, we've been on this for four years now and we've gone to their reunions and some of the guys right. joke that we're honorary veterans nice. of, of Apache troop. And really with all the information that's come into us, we might be the holders of one of the biggest collections of Apache troop wow. history in the world. Wow. Um, but I do feel that connection. And sometimes I see something on the internet about Vietnam vets I know is wrong and it pisses me off. I'm like, that's not, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. and, and I'll see people holding signs and some doesn't seem right. And like, you don't look old enough or right. you've right. misspelled things. And I want, and I'm like, you know what? No, like you don't yeah. know enough. I'm not going to be one of those guys who only knows enough to be dangerous and calls out a real veteran. <laughs> Like, um, right. our guys because you know today it's airborne ranger but their hats are ranger airborne so mm -hmm. we've had people call them out craig who's literally on youtube getting shot in the war with 10 million views mm -hmm. has had mm -hmm. people call on him out for being a fake veteran like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> here it is <laughs> right so yeah it is it's it's been a weird journey for us to have gone from being born after the war, not being taught mm -hmm. it in high school mm -hmm. or any, any level of school right. to feeling this connection so closely right. to them. It's, right. it's been fun. So, well, yeah. for me, I won't speak for you, Dustin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know that I'd call it fun, but it has been incredibly, uh, in incredibly stimulating in all of the ways and a fun journey um are you saying sitting in a hotel room in the middle of kansas for a day off was not fun uh i had a great time that was fun that was not fun that was uh contextually speaking it was fantastic and i don't think i'd do it again <laughs> well and i will say when i was at the wall last year and i did wear my dad's shirt there and so that of course it drew some veterans to talk to me yeah. They're, they're so grateful that anyone from our generation is even thinking about them because a lot of them have children who don't think about the war. And so, you know, I don't know where my journey is going to take me. I don't know if I'll compile a book of stories of children or veterans, what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a baby, so everything's going to be on pause for a while, but I still think about it. And, and, I, and I remember back to just specifically being thanked for having an interest. So you guys have that too. And so you're holding a big piece of that in for these guys in their hearts. And just for them to have some acknowledgement and someone to honor what they've done and what they've been through. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible gift to them. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, um, the first reunion we went to was in DC. And we went mm -hmm. to the wall with a bunch of them. And that was that's a moment I'll cherish. And I mean, I've been to the mm -hmm. wall before, but to go there with Vietnam, to be mm -hmm. not just to go there, but to be invited to go with them as they mm -hmm. looked up their friends was, right. um, I almost felt weird for document. You have to remind yourself, mm -hmm. well, you are a documentarian. You got, you got to document right. this. Right. You just want to live in the moment with right. them. I will, I will always cherish that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it was fun because it was in the middle of summer. It was almost 100 yeah, degrees. Was, <laughs> uh, you know, we're double fisting water as we're going. And, and all the veterans were just hungry. But there's no restaurants around the mall. 
And right. so from two blocks away, we see a hot dog cart. And one of the veterans, Doc, who's from New Jersey, is like, oh, we're going to go get hot dogs. And I said, well, what if they're $10 a hot dog? He's like, I'll never pay that. <laughs> they were. They were $10 a hot dog. Of and course. I remember he was like, what? And he's, but he ate it because <laughs> Yeah, hungry. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, um, have you found any, uh, I mean, even you've, you've just been living in how long have you been living together with Dustin? Like just about a guess? year. About a year, right? Mm-hmm. How um, you said that uh, some of the parts of living with your dad kind of prepared you, like 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 there's differences, <laughs> but then there's similarities in those differences. Yeah. Um, are you like what are are there some of those that you want to talk about? Uh, you know, there's things like when we first got together. You know, he was always jolting awake in the night at the slightest noise, you know, and I was like, Oh, I know this, you know, or up looking out the window. Oh, I know this one too, you know, or just not being able to sleep. And I remember, I think on like, it may have been our first date even where I was like, are you going to need to sit facing the door? You know, cause I mean, I was raised with, you know, PTSD like crazy that I didn't even know was PTSD um, from my dad. And I don't even remember him positioning himself places, but somehow I just knew he's probably going to want to watch the door, not have his back to the door. Um, and he actually sat with his back to the door anyway, but things like that. And then we were talking recently too about, um, my dad, one of the ways I feel like he maintained some sense of control in his life was through diet and exercise, to the point that I think he could actually have been diagnosed with what they call a male eating disorder, just because it, it seems more acceptable in society, like these bodybuilders. But there's a point at which it kind of actually becomes, you know, a Super disorder. It just doesn't show. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't show up. In, or it's just, it's the only thing you think about, you know, your calorie intake. Do my pants feel tighter? Oh my God, I'm getting fat. Oh, I ate some pizza. Oh my God, I'm a fat slob. You know, this is like my dad's dialogue with himself. And so he hasn't like missed a day of working out my whole life. And, you know, his, he's like, you know, pick me up something to eat, but it's got to be low-cal, this, da-da-da, you know, whatever. And so it's like, you know, I was just talking to Dustin the other day, and he was talking about this massive obsession he had with diet and exercise at some point in the military. And I was like, you know what? I bet that that came from, you know, just needing to control something, which is what mm-hmm. they say about things like anorexia or whatever, Um, it's just, they never get a diagnosis for it because, you know, they're men, men don't have eating disorders, do they, you know, but yeah, they do actually. So there, there's a lot of things like that. And, um, you know, my dad didn't let me, uh, my, my bicycle riding distance was the house next door to in front of our house to the house next door. So we went back and forth and back and forth because he needed to be able to look out that window and see us. If he couldn't see us, we were dead. You know, so we ha- I've had some incidents where I didn't answer my phone or I, I ran over an appointment giving someone a massage and you know, Dustin's driving by the house I'm at or whatever, making sure nothing weird has happened to me, you know, so there's that, that inability to like calm the thoughts when they get out of control about someone's safety. Those are all very similar to my dad. There's, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. So I'm just like, hey, I know this. I'm like, oh, you're my dad. You're just like my dad. 
which is okay because I love my dad. Right. It's like the uh, the Back to the Future meme of, hey, I've seen this one. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. So um, this is the point where we we turn it over and say, is there anything that we we didn't cover or any thoughts you have or anything you'd like to say to the our audience of millions? Audience of millions. Oh, yeah. What an opportunity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wicked popular. <laughs> you know, I'm just grateful to you guys for doing this. You're doing what I wish I could be doing with my time right now. I don't know when I'll cycle back to doing something like this um, or if the journey's over for me or what's going on. But I'm just very grateful that you're both doing this. I think it's so important. And, you know, I would say to the, to the listeners, encourage people to talk to a veteran encourage them to be curious about a veteran if they don't feel like talking to one at least be curious and start that inner inner questioning of what is this judgment i hold about and where does this come from and how can i myself be a bridge in this world to the people who have served this country whether i agree with it or not yeah the uh um, the veterans are not the war, you know, it's the warriors are not the war is right. one of the early taglines we had for the movie. We have yet to meet a veteran who was the one who sent the troops into Vietnam or right. was the one who declared the war on Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, right. They all said, no, I, I was told to go there. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was told when I could come home. Yep. So, thank you so much thank you so much for your time yeah absolutely thank you guys this has been awesome well and to our listeners we will say no matter where you are listening to us the the myriad of podcast channels that we are on uh if you like what you heard and you must have if you're still here right now uh if you like what you heard make give us a subscribe give us a like tell your friends tell your enemies if they'll listen that's right that's okay <laughs> buy a billboard put our uh, put our jam on it <laughs> help us out <laughs> so but thank you so much for joining us you've been listening to the know their story podcast if you made it this far we must be doing something right let us know by subscribing to our channel and think about sitting down with the veterans in your life because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation not the end.